I think that it's the best time in the history of mankind to be a salesperson because it's so easy to distinguish yourself mm. versus the average sellers out there because they're all hiding behind yeah. their computers, their Zoom, and like phone calls, voice calls, and face-to-face. -face. You got to know how to communicate that way, not yeah. through a video, not through a presentation, not through AI. It's going to come back to, do you know how to relate to people anymore? Mm. I was in a conference recently and, oh my God, everybody just wanted to network. Everybody wanted to talk to a human being face to face. All right, friends, welcome to the WinRate Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Vince Beasy. And Vince is one of my guests on this episode of the WinRate Podcast. Vince is founder and CEO at Sales at Scale, which is a B2B sales consultancy accelerating revenue growth for venture capital-backed startups. My other guest today for this really interesting discussion about sales effectiveness, the buyer experience, and increasing win rates are Luigi Prestonenzi. Luigi is the founder of The Growth Forum and More Better HQ, and he's co-host of his own podcast titled Scalable Growth. And lastly, joining us is Kyle Williams. Kyle is the founder and CEO at Brickstack. And Kyle's also a frequent contributor to this podcast. Now, one listener note before we jump into today's discussion, I love to answer your questions about sales and sales effectiveness and win rates. So if you have any questions at all about B2B selling and how to increase your win rates, if you'd like answered either by me or one of the guests on the show, then please submit those to me. You can do that via email at winratepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can DM me, Andy Paul, on LinkedIn. Love to hear from you and hear your question. Okay, if you're ready, let's jump into the discussion. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the WinRate Podcast. I'm so excited everybody's joining me today, especially a guest from Australia who's woken up very early on a Saturday morning to join us, Luigi Prestonenzi. So if everybody just take 30 seconds a minute, just introduce yourself a little bit. Luigi, we'll start with you. Yeah. So thanks for having me on your show, Andy. I was a big fan of your, other, of your last podcast. So it's great to be one of the early guests. Ah. I'm a sales, yeah. A bit about me. I'm a sales practitioner, obviously from Australia. Been working in sales pretty much my whole career. I'm running teams and also helping teams optimize their sales process. But everything I work on, I do myself or I try to do myself. So I'm learning in the trenches. So again, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah. Well, I said, you look great on <laughs> your background looks great today. Your camera setup. <laughs> Perfect. Compared to the rest of us slobs that uh, on camera here today. <laughs> Vince, you're next. On that note, great to be back, Andy. Vince Beasy here. My career has mostly been at startups for the last 23 years in various different executive roles, but always focusing on revenue. And today I'm helping early stage and other growth companies with go-to-market execution with my firm called Sales at Scale. Excellent. Excellent. And Kyle. Thanks for having me on again, Andy. Great to be yeah, here. Yeah, you're almost um, like a co-host now. <laughs> right? We'll fly on the wall. Yeah. I'm Kyle Williams, sales leader, learned how to code. I worked everywhere from Google to Sequoia-backed startups to running my own firms to now I run a company called Brickstack where we help companies win by playing where they can win. And so a lot of that is where you point your team and your target market and exercises around understanding that and, and pointing that in a bespoke way. Excellent. All right. So a question for everybody here to start with is what's one thing you think about selling that's sort of like a unique perspective you have that you think if everybody sort of shared this perspective, they could succeed at sales. 
Vince, let's start with you. <laughs> you can't do that. I think the one thing, if it's kind of like a superpower, I was always able to see through the BS of a deal and really understand if it's real or not. Mm -hmm. um, from early stages through late, I'm very good instinctually in understanding the deal. So I'd say that I guess it comes down to being very honest. I'm not afraid to lose. I'm not afraid to win, right? So being very honest about the opportunity. So I think that would be the thing that I really understood about is like, you don't have to win every opportunity. You just have to win right. the opportunities that you have to win. That makes right. sense. That are winnable. So we're going to get back to this topic actually later. It's interesting you brought that up. But so how do you teach that? Because for each of these things I'm going to ask you, how do we teach other people this, right? And you said some of it's instinctual and obviously some experience, but mostly something there we could teach people is how do they become more discriminating, if you will, about what they're deciding to work on? Yeah, I'm instinctual about these deals because I ask the right questions. I'm inquisitive. So if you ask the right questions, if you're a curious person, you will get the answers that you need to understand if it is real, if it's a mutual fit for both parties, right? So I think it's that, being inquisitive and asking the right questions and taking the time to dig a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper to see what the opportunity might be or the pain might be, right? Yeah, it's a matter of, not to try to pin it down too much, but curiosity, just willing to be curious and stray off script. You, you use the term the right questions, but the right questions can vary from situation to situation. But if, you have, if you're curious about the people and what they're trying to achieve and how you might be able to help them, then you begin to find what the right questions for that situation, right? I look, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste their time, right? So yeah. I want to ask the right questions to see if we should work together or not. I'm not looking yeah. for every lead to turn into an opportunity. I'm looking for the opposite. I'm looking for the right leads to work to turn into opportunities. And I think if you're that type of person that's looking for the truth, then I think you will find the answers. And again, and if you've done this long enough, like us old guys, you start being able to tell the difference between someone that's being forthright, not forthright, and if it's real or not, right? Yeah, I was having this conversation with some sales the other day. It's like, you should, if somebody's, if you're going to start investing in a deal, an opportunity, mm. you should have a sense why you're going to win, right? After having asked the question, it's not just, oh, it's open competition because they're going to buy. It's like, well, no, why are you going to win, right? You have to have some indication of that before you decide to invest your time and effort in it. Everybody's nodding their heads. If you can't see, if you're not well, watching. Well, it's interesting. Ahead, I think that goes down to the some of the foundational stuff of selling that's really important and knowing where to spend your time, like who to actually focus your attention on. So as long as you've got a clear ICP or ideal customer profile or ideal account profile and you're really clear on this is where we need to play because that X amount of this part of the market potentially has this problem that we can solve, then that's increasing your chances of winning because you're at least dealing with people that have a better fit for what you sell, right? Mm. I think that's also important. I think the other thing, and it's not a unique perspective because it's been spoken about for such a long time in the world of selling and, and personal development, but um, I think it's the importance of giving and nurturing and educating because you're not always looking to close the deal. And it's just a really short story, but I was interviewing an enablement leader yesterday who's actually looking to purchase an intent data platform, speaking to two different providers. Mm. One provider has primarily been trying to close the deal where the other provider has been encouraging her to engage with other people in the buying committee because the product and solution impacts other people and has been giving information about how it impacts and bringing them into the sales cycle, right? 
and the other providers double the price. Yeah. And so now they are moving forward with the other provider. So completely different mindset shift. Instead of just trying to close a deal, they're actually trying to nurture, deliver insights, do all the some of the foundational stuff that we sometimes forget is absolutely critical in, in the sales process. Yeah. Helping versus selling. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think this is to me, this is sort of the fundamental mindset shift and was playing, hopefully we're going to talk about this more later, is that sellers have to begin to embrace, and some do already, but yeah. if we're trying to ever get to the point where people's default mode coming into sales is not super salesy, mm. then yeah, we have to have something for them to gravitate to that's different. And I think to the point you're making, it's about helping. Right? If we help somebody to make a decision, then more likely to be rewarded than if we just show up and try to close them. Kyle, I think I would you? add... Yeah, I think curiosity is what I was going to lead with. And I think it ties into what I hear we're all talking about this, having a sense of when a deal is good or not. But how do you, if I think about the rep who doesn't have that heuristic yet, they don't have the sixth sense, they don't have the tacit knowledge, how do you get there? And and the skill, if I could share it with everyone that I think would improve sales is knowing how how to turn failure mode into a success, meaning you're always learning, even if I'm not progressing this deal, being mm -hmm. able to drop some of the pretense. I think a lot of times the reps who are working to make that transition from the conscious competence to unconscious competence, which is really mm -hmm. when you can build that sixth sense, um, is there's a big barrier internally to say, I don't want to look dumb. I don't want to look like I don't have the answer. And that is a barrier to curiosity. So being able to reduce that to be able to sometimes even there's parts of the industry you're in where you can learn that from your prospects. Some of the best aspects of what I think back when I was at Google and we're selling to folks who had different flavors of exchange and they're running all of these. I, there's no way they could teach us all the IT expertise. But if I ask my prospects, one, I'm learning from them. That curiosity is helping me to understand their situation to be more helpful. And then that builds the unconscious competence to be able to have the sixth sense for the next call when someone says exchange 5.3. I know exactly what that means and we can just jump to that part of the conversation. So I think that yeah. curiosity as a mechanism for learning for yourself as much as it is for helping the prospect and building those instincts. You said something really interesting, a trigger thought is you're saying that sellers don't like to appear to be dumb or uninformed or whatever. <laughs> and that by the same token, it seems like sellers don't have that same reluctance to show up as being super salesy and unhelpful. Right, at least based on <clears throat> on customer customer survey yeah, feed yeah, and customer data, mask, right? That's yeah, just the masking their lack of product or service understanding. And so I'll go back to what Kyle said. I I think if you don't want to seem stupid in a conversation, then take the time to really understand your product, your service, or whatever you're selling. Become the the expert in the solution that you're selling. And if you are the an expert in the solution that you're selling. You'll never feel as though I'm going to sound stupid by asking the next question. And that's sure. the thing that enterprise sellers, you have to learn. You should be learning about the product right. before you make your first call or send your first email. You should take the time to really ingrain yourself with that. And that's, I think that's vital. And I, I think that's, I think it's gotten better over time. When I first got into startups, it used to be day one, you'd be, here you go, here's your computer, here's your email, go ahead, start sending email. You didn't know anything. You'd start reaching out to people. You get no training. At least sales enablement become a lot better, even at early stage startups over the years. Right. We still have the same issue though, that 
buyer's first impression of sellers is negative, overwhelmingly negative, because they show up and pitch before they make an effort to really understand anything. So, and again, that doesn't seem to embarrass or mortify sellers the same way it would that they show up and not knowing what they're talking about or that someone exposes them for not knowing what they're talking about. Mm. Why can't we help them start with that first part? Because that would then ease the path into being able to ask the questions that need to be asked. Well, you got to have the will. You got to have the will to develop the skill. That's the first thing, right? And I think a lot of, and as a salesperson myself, I don't take this comment lightly, but I think there's a lot of sellers out there that just are looking for the easiest path to an outcome, right? It's easy to jam a hundred prospects into a sequencing tool and come up with one message for a hundred people. Like that's easy. And unfortunately, there's a lot. There's a what I see. There's actually a lot of lazy people out there, right? And we're humans, right? We try to do what's easiest. But unfortunately, that makes it harder for you, right? Because you start to burn your TAM and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I think how do you change that? Yes, enablement's gotten better. And it's great to teach them about product sales, etc. But I think this is where we need to get that foundational stuff in place. And this is where I think sometimes less tech is more, is better. Meaning, well, sequence. Pick up the phone and call somebody, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was talking to two different sales leaders in the last week who talk about how they're getting on the plane more. They're going and visiting mm. customers again, and yep. enough with video calls. Let's go see somebody in person. Is this something you're seeing as well? Trends with the companies you're working with all the time. I'm doing it more. I'm spending more time on the plane now. I think that whole. COVID, especially in Australia, killed travel for a couple of years. Mm. Most lockdown place in the world, but now it's just back. And I think people, more people want in person. I was at a conference in Orlando. It was like 1,500 CFOs. They loved it. Like you could see people were just wanted to be in the same room. They wanted to go to the happy hours. They were right. looking for human interaction versus Teams and Zoom and Google Hangouts and right. all that sort of stuff. Right. So I think. People talk about the old school sales model is dead. I actually think the whole going out to see clients face-to-face, going out for a beer, like those things are critical. Yeah, people buy from people. I, th- I feel like you said that some people are lazy and I think that extends to a lot of the go-to-market motion. Is the, there's, We've kind of gotten drunk off of removing the stakes from go-to-market. So we're going to put it in the sequencer. We're going to pump the ads. We're going to use AI to write the thing. And as someone who spends a lot of time in code, very pro technology and the advancements that happen there. But I think when we, when you remove the stakes, eventually you remove the thing that made it work in the first place in biology. I just recently learned about this concept called costly signaling, which Mm. is why does the peacock have this big giant tail that serves no purpose beyond, Hey, look at me. It's the same principle of if you saw two people running and they're running at the same pace and one of them's wearing a 60 pound pack on the back, on their back, you'd say, well, that second person's probably more healthy. <laughs> they can do that. <laughs> it's the crazy. same. Yeah. And the peacock is sort of signaling, I can have this big, giant, useless thing on my back and still get away from predators. Right. So I'm the healthier specimen, but we've removed all the stakes from our go to market, right? We're hiding behind the technology. We're hiding behind the salesiness mask. Like you talked about Vince. And there's nothing for us as a prospect. It's hard to figure out who really has a solution here when it's all these low stakes masks. 
Yeah. Well, that's a great perspective. I like that. Vince, you are nodding. And that's why I think that it's, this is the best time in the history of mankind to be a salesperson because it's so easy to distinguish yourself mm. versus the average sellers out there. Cause they're all hiding behind yeah. their computers, their zoom, their everything. And like phone calls, voice calls, like not even video voice calls and face to face, you got to know how to communicate that way. Not yeah. through a video, not through a presentation, not through AI. It's going to come back to, boy, do you know how to relate to people anymore? Because mm. Luigi, like you, I was in a conference recently in Orlando as well. Same vibe. Like, oh my God, people were like, even though it was 3000 degrees outside inside the <laughs> conference center, it was nice and cool, but everybody just wanted to network. Everybody wanted to talk to a human being face to face. Yeah. And I'm finding like everybody else is saying that I'm forcing myself instead of sending that next email, I'm actually picking up the phone and starting at least to use my phone more. And so I'm starting to see that trend and I'm seeing to have, see way better results by, by just using my phone and have, trying to have a more personal level of dialogue. And that's setting me apart. And now a message from Closed. An often overlooked way to improve your win rate is to identify and close win back opportunities. After conducting tens of thousands of buyer interviews, Closed has found that 10% of closed loss deals have the potential to be won back at some point in the future. Now, identifying these win back opportunities early and knowing when and how to follow up could be worth millions. Closed recently helped one of their customers identify and win a $500,000 win back opportunity within days of it being marked as closed lost. Closed automatically reached out to perform a win loss interview when the deal was marked closed loss in the CRM. And the buyer said, well, actually, we're still interested and we're ready to sign the contract. Closed is finding win-back deals on a daily basis for their clients. How about for you? To help you get started receiving the value of consistent, direct, candid feedback from your buyers, Closed is offering all my listeners a free gift. Just go to winlosstoolkit.com and they'll send you a bunch of valuable tools to help you get your win-loss program started. The toolkit includes a comprehensive guide to running a successful win-loss program, an ROI calculator, and they'll even perform your first win-loss interview for free to help you see the value of getting feedback directly from your buyers. So to claim your gift, visit winlosstoolkit.com. That's winlosstoolkit.com. And now a message from Alego. Are you struggling to make your sales team more efficient and improve time to productivity? With Alego's modern revenue enablement platform, marketing sales and enablement teams get on the same page for continuous improvement. So break through all the noise and deliver the buying experiences that your buyers today demand. Enable faster ramp times for your rep and more revenue for your business in less time. See how it all can work for you. Go to alego.com slash demo. That is alego.com slash demo. And to that point about the phone, there was this study that came out, I think it's like in the first year of the pandemic, but people have been studying Zoom even before the pandemic. And what they found is that actually you could communicate more effectively in terms of connecting with the person on the other end and communicate more nuance through the phone than through the video call. Mm. Because what happens is people are so focused on looking at you that they're not listening to the <laughs> same degree. Yeah. And so this recommendation was from this, I forget what the research was, right? article saved somewhere, but is that, to your point, Vince, yeah. Pick up the phone, call somebody, yeah. have a phone call. 
That's a differentiator. I swear yeah. to God, like you calling is different than the 20 other reps that are sending emails right now. Right? Yeah. yeah. If only you're and, 20, right? Yeah. And I also think to some extent, like we've been a little bit misguided, right? Because there's a lot of data from Gartner to say the buyer wants less interaction with sellers and we need to remove the friction. And that all sounds great, right? But when you're buying a very transactional product, very simple product, that can be quite easy to remove the friction. Yeah. You can make it a, a non-human interaction. But the reality is, and we see the data all the time, what is it? 40 to 60% of deals end up in no decision because it's difficult to get the entire buying committee to agree, to get consensus. That requires scoping. That requires the ability to gain alignment, to get agreement on the problems that they're trying to solve and how it is impacted. And I spoke to a CFO yesterday that we were interviewing of a very large organization and some of the things that he said, like some of the questions that he said he needs to ask when somebody brings a business case to him for but for money, he's saying, what's the incremental benefit? And mm-hmm. he asks, he's asking key questions. And he says, because if I've got to give you money that I haven't budgeted for, I'm taking it from somewhere else. And that can create an anti-sponsor somewhere else. That can create mm-hmm. somebody to say, hey, I'm not agreeing with this because that's my budget, right? You're taking it from me. So there's going to be internal debate, right? You, you need a person to help facilitate all of that right so and i think this is where we need to just sort of put a line in the sand to say sure technology can create a frictionless sales process but there are certain situations it can't and this is where salespeople, sales professionals need to have those critical skills to be able to facilitate conversations know when to stop selling and start to go we need to get buy-in right we need to put an action plan i need to be that trusted advisor to be able to come into the boardroom and present and actually challenge everybody's thinking here to get the robust conversation up on the table. So that's just to your point, Kyle, about we try to hide behind technology. Sometimes you can't. Feels like to your point of that's a lot of calories to go spend to help an organization navigate <laughs> the sponsor and the anti-sponsor. Yeah. And we don't have unlimited calories to spend in the day. I yeah. do think that's where technology can assist, right? To help. Mm. And Andy, we talk, we've talked about this at length of, to help you assess sort of where can you win and then help to mm-hmm. know where to focus your time as you're building those heuristics to do it yourself. Whereas mm. today's go to market feels more like we're just panning for gold or just shove as much dirt in there and shake it as hard as you can. Yeah. And yeah. Some flakes fall out. And now we have a large portion of salespeople that have been trained how to treat inbound and mm. any lead that's not served up with the right why it's almost you know, i use the analogy of when you're hiring an active versus a passive candidate and we're treating anyone who's not inbound like they're inbound and it's like asking a passive candidate why would you leave your job like, I, I don't know you called me <laughs> we don't know how to navigate that ca- that conversation partially because mm. we don't know where to spend the calories and partially because we're sifting a lot of dirt yeah well there's that sort of leads to a question actually that a listener question. Somebody submitted recording this after only a few episodes of aired. So an early user listener or a listener question, but it's talking about they were acting after which conversation they were acting to with saying they wanted some help, which is, yeah, how do we create sort of a uniform acceptance criteria for what car pipeline oh. for what we should tellers or managers should use to help them decide, okay, this is one I should invest my time, attention and resources in. 
Vince, you're smiling. Go ahead. <laughs> I think it starts with Luigi was talking about before is like, number one is what's your ICP, right? There's characteristics of the leads or accounts that are coming inbound that just on the surface look like potentially be a good fit. So that's number one. And then it's the criteria questions that you have to ask to figure out if there's mutual fit. Mm. That's what I'm always looking for, like on a intro call or just trying to figure out what's what here, right? So I think that's up to the the sales leader to put a process in place and make it uniform so we understand what's the difference between a qualified lead and a qualified opportunity. It's pretty simple, right? Like if I have a first call and you ask these questions and these are the answers that come out of it, it's a lead. If not, keep exploring or if not, say no and move on. That's easy if you have a sales leader that's put even a little bit of process into it. It's yeah. not that complicated. Sellers that they have to maintain certain pipeline coverage ratios and there's this reluctance to stand up to a boss and say no and saying, look, I'm operating with lower pipeline coverage. That's okay because I'm, I'm going to deliver. Yeah. And yeah, how do I have that conversation with the boss to say, back up? Oh, gosh, this is a whole, I could go off on this one. Like, <laughs> I, don't, go. I don't really care about coverage. I care about when you accepted an opportunity do we have a fighting chance at winning this? And are we doing everything we can to win? I don't care if you have 4X or 5X or 6S your coverage. That comes from the leader stating the expectation of the sales team. So I'd say the salesperson, if they feel that way, it's because the leader is putting that expectation. So it starts with the sales leader. Absolutely. I want to alleviate my team of the expectation. What I'm expecting from my team is that you will work hard, you will train, you will continue to learn, will continue to get better, and we'll win more than we lose because we're doing the right things that we've been trained and we agreed to, right? That's my expectation, right? I don't want them to feel extra pressure. I want them right. to do the right thing for the company and for the opportunity. But you alluded to it. You had three or four things, questions you needed, certain types of answers to in order to progress. So that's sort of your acceptance criteria you had. Okay. Yeah. Kyle, or Luigi, excuse me. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one, right? Because that whole pipeline coverage, if you look at what a lead is, what are organizations looking at? They're looking at certain metrics and this can actually create some really, I won't say bad behaviors, but sales reps can start to fill their pipeline just with stuff to meet their pipeline coverage targets. And then, then companies bring in medic or other qualification criterias because they want to make sure that there's the right type of accounts in the pipeline, et cetera. But I think this can potentially lead to the wrong behaviors because you're creating a level of pressure on people to say, yes, we need to create this volume of pipeline, right? For me, it goes back to some of the basic foundations. I've just got to have the right conversations with the right type of prospects and people, right? And I think, again, this is where that whole inbound versus outbound, and this constantly comes up, right? Constantly comes up in conversation. The buyers change, they don't want outbound, inbound's a new way, demand generation. That's all good and proper. But unfortunately, inbound just doesn't create enough qualified pipeline for sellers, right? They have to be able to go out there. Now, again, this is where if we think about networking events, there are multiple ways in which we can go and create pipeline, not just cold calling. There are absolutely multiple ways that we can do it. And this comes back to that foundational stuff. So I think there's it's a healthy balance, right? Yes, we've got to manage up. 
But we've also got to manage our own pipeline and be able to have the skills to go out there and create it. Right. So this is a topic that's come up a couple of times in the podcast mm. recently is this idea of the full cycle seller. Is this the time what? when this is going to start what happening? Is a full cycle seller it should never have changed. Like for, if you've been, I, I don't what? get this concept. What? That says what? That's outrageous. How dare you bring that topic up? You mean I'm going to actually start from the beginning, create a relationship and see it all the way through? <laughs> what are you talking about? This is madness. Wait, that's it, this is panicking, panic inducing in some <laughs> segment of the AEs out there because it's like, you want me to prospect? Put the customer on a conveyor belt and every step along the way, they get to talk to a different person. Uh, yeah, it's many haven't been in that position where they've had to go do that. Yeah. It wasn't expected of them, but it's seemingly, yeah, I hear more and more sales leaders, in some cases, some embracing it, but yeah, higher fraction sort of tiptoeing toward that line. Kyle and I work on a bunch of data with companies. We look at it and it's like, well, because <laughs> we're doing deep dives in the company's win rates. And it's like, uh, this segment that the self-source leads and performs at much higher levels. And yeah, the AEs aren't drunk on the prospect of all these quantity mm. of leads coming in, though they're not very good leads. Yeah, look, I think the assembly line model absolutely is a valid go-to-market model, right? Let's not say it's completely wrong. I think it's absolutely has a, it was never meant to, in my opinion, to say AE shouldn't be self-sourcing, right? Because... As an AE, you have, you can create a better point of view to be able to self-source because you're dealing with people and fixing these problems all the time, more so than an SDR or a BDR. I just think, again, in the, especially the tech sector, this is actually a major problem for the tech sector. A lot of other industries don't have this problem. Real estate, they're hunting and killing, right? Like a lot of other industries are going out, they're still doing the traditional sourcing, sure. closing, right? I think the tech sector got very focused because they could on creating these assembly line models. But a lot of under industries are called old school sales models, but they can still prospect. Sure. But even in the, in the tech space, in the SaaS world, how bad do win rates have to get before you begin to think, maybe this isn't working? When you lose your job. Seriously, though, seeing lots of data from companies that outwardly healthy but you look at what's really happening under the covers and it's like this is not going to be sustainable in the long run i think it's also in addition to reflecting and, and really doing a deep dive on the win rates it's this notion of full cycle sales it's a, we haven't said anything about the buyer experience it's not a great buyer experience to go through on the conveyor belt right so exactly I bet you if you guys when you do your analysis if you actually spoke to the the other side the buyer They'd prefer to speak to one person throughout the process, however long that lasts. Mm. And so to me, I think that's one of the reasons why you're probably also seeing higher success with the full cycle salesperson is because there's a lot of good continuity. They're building the relationship. They're building the trust through one person as opposed to keep getting handed off to the next person on the, the belt line. So yeah, I think if, if they have the capability at all, we should all be taking consideration of like, it could work. I agree with Luigi. It can work in a lot of cases where you have handoffs. But I think we should always consider what's best for the customer. What is the customer, the buyer, right? And I don't think that's been considered at all <laughs> relative in most of the SaaS world. I think some of the buyer experience is reflective of the process that we put the buyer through as well, right? If you look right. at when does an executive get involved 
on the buyer side in the sales process, I think it's typically one call at the end for about 15 minutes. Whereas if you talk to the executive about the actual decision that's being made, it's usually rooted in some strategic question that they had. Like I was talking to an executive recently who's a VP of customer success, and he was trying to answer the question of, I want our customers to be more engaged with us. That is the problem statement. And I've heard that it can be good to certify them on our products. So we do a learning management system, or maybe we start a community so they can connect with each other more. At this point, he's not entering a buy cycle for either one. The problem is I want my customers to be more engaged. And what he'd love to do is talk to some senior folks at companies that are in those categories and get their perspective philosophically about how it helps solve that problem. But he can't do that because what's the process? I have to go to your site. I click a button. Three days later, I get a message from an SDR scheduling a call five days out to then ask me five questions that I already know the answer to then five days later, talk to an AE who's going to ask me the same five questions, maybe show me a small bit of a demo and then say, oh, I got to get the sales engineer on to actually answer your questions. And then now we're two months out to know if they're entering a sales cycle at all. And yet now you are forever going to be hounded by that company before you've been able to answer the question because of the buyer experience has dictated that's not what the executive does. What they do mm. is they say, I'm trying to figure out if these are going to help us solve our problems. And then they pick someone on their team and say, you go have the conversation. And at that point, you as the selling side don't know truly what's driving this decision. And I think because of the process that we've created for the buyer, that's how they've responded. They don't enter the, enter the cycle at the strategic level intentionally. Yeah, well, I think there's like, there's a shifting, and well, I think Luigi brought up, but yeah, percentage of buyers that say or report that they don't want to, they prefer not to deal with sell, sellers, whatever that number is, 75% or whatever. I actually like to say, I think the number is actually hundred percent, but don't want to, <laughs> don't want to deal with sellers with salespeople, but understand they need to, for the reasons we yeah, talked yeah, about before, to. right? Yeah. If it's the right person, I think buyers have time for the right seller who shows up with the right. Yeah in the right way, ask the right questions. As Vince talks about before, engage, and starts building a level of trust and demonstrates to the buyer that they can help them with yeah. this process they're going through of making yeah. a decision to make some substantive change in their business. And now a word from Cognizant. Picture this, your revenue team armed with accurate B2B contact data that leaves missed opportunities and unreachable prospects in the past. Look no further than Cognizm, the B2B contact data provider that stands out with unwavering focus on data quality and coverage. Cognizm's U.S. data set alone offers two times more cell phone numbers than any other provider on the market. And it gets even better. 7 million human-verified cell phone numbers backed by a 98% accuracy rate deliver precision like you've never seen before. And if international business growth is on the horizon, Cognizm offers the most complete GDPR-compliant data in Europe making your expansion dreams more attainable than ever. Customers like Drift have already experienced the power of Cognizm. In just 30 days, they proved ROI and now book 70% of their outbound meetings using Cognizm cell phone data. But don't take our word for it. Get a free data sample and test the quality for yourself. Head over to Cognizm.com slash data sample to get your free data sample today. That's Cognizm.com slash data sample. So Andy, this is a question I posed to a whole bunch of CFOs like only a few weeks ago at this conference, CFOs of pretty large businesses and also chief business officers. And I said mm -hmm. this, I said, do you like to hear from salespeople? 
And they said, we don't, what they said is, we don't like to hear, like to get all these pictures and these sequences. They actually talk, like they're very educated now. They know when they're on a sequencing email, right? They said, we don't have all the answers. We're actually facing challenges that we haven't faced before. We, we've come out of the post-COVID era. We want education. We want somebody to share how others are, uh, are fixing certain problems or tackling, not even fixing, just tackling certain problems. Mm-hmm. We want to hear insight and educate. This is exactly what they said. And it was validated by so many different people. So it's not that they don't want to hear from salespeople or, or vendors. They just don't want to be sold to early in the process. They mm-hmm. want that education. They want that insight. And for me, I was so encouraged by that. And I asked them, like, especially with cold emails, I said, do you look at cold emails? I said, yes. But if the first line and the last line, if we see the first line as generic, we'll just delete it. We've got time for it, right? So that, again, really encouraging for me because that's just saying, you know what? They want to hear from people, but they want to hear from people that are prepared to do the research, prepared to take the time to actually say, here's a point of view that I think is really important for where you're at in your business and in your journey and in your industry, right? And this... I don't believe you can scale that at personalization at scale and all that stuff. Like this is a one-to-one. This is me reaching out to you, Andy, because of ABC. Right. Yeah. I, like I think mass personalization at scale is an oxymoron, but yeah, I got one of my favorite cold emails ever just two days ago. Yeah. And this digital marketing agency, apparently had sent me an email before I hadn't seen it. They said, Andy, reaching out, apparently you hadn't seen previous email. Hey, we're still pretty confident that we can really help a restaurant like yours. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, what about sell without selling? Oh, Cause you're referring to the title of the book, LinkedIn page. You obviously it's scraped. It's like, yeah, what about sell without selling out says I'm a restaurant. Yeah. Well, I keep getting the franchise uh, emails, mm. right? Yeah. And I'm like, boy, are they just targeting based on age and that's it. Right. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. constantly yeah. on LinkedIn like two or three times a day by the the broker ones on that. And then they, and then the other, like, like others, I have different things I do. Like I'm a member of Pavilion, right? Mm-hmm. And they assume I work at Pavilion. How are things going at Pavilion? How can we help Pavilion grow? I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you contact Sam? Like, <laughs> did you even just take the time to read yeah. my bio? Oh, no. Like, it's just ridiculous. No, it's like no, some I, of that I, is, I, oh, go ahead, Andy. Well, I was just going to say the last, my last story, and that was one of my favorites of my absolute favorite stories. Like a year ago, a little over a year ago, a guy, you know, messages me on LinkedIn, you know, direct message on LinkedIn says, Hey, you know, Andy is, I was just looking at your profile <laughs> and I think you'd be an ideal candidate to start a podcast. <laughs> hey, they weren't yeah, wrong. And I, I almost never respond to those. And I did to this person. I went back and I said, you know, you're on the platform. You, at least you say you are. If you actually looked at my profile, you'd see that, yeah, I actually have a podcast, let alone, yeah, over a thousand episodes, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I said, you're on the platform. Didn't you do any research? And his response, a quote, we don't have time for that. Too busy. He was honest. shaking this dirt. <laughs> yeah. At least he's honest, right? honest. Right. We don't have time yep. for research. But, 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 but then that's why my opinion, right? This is why there's two camps and, in fo- unfortunately, there's some industries like I don't want to deal with the salesperson. I recently was in the process of purchasing a house and I can tell you 
all the un, all the stereotypical sales behaviors were being exhibited. There's another buyer and, oh, they want to do this price and changing the terms and everything that we've come to hate about sales, it's still there. I wish I didn't have to deal with that salesperson. I wish it was completely frictionless that I could just jump online and do everything online, but I couldn't, right? However, that's also what creates that negative stigma because our buyers, whether they're C-levels, they're also engaging with sellers that are doing that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So already there's that imaginary wall. So when we're reaching out to someone and when exhibiting those behaviors, Andy, by not doing our research, et cetera, our buyers already have this imaginary barrier up, right? Because they're dealing with so many people that are just trying to cut corners and they're exhibiting the wrong behaviors. And and again, this is where I'm really confident. And I think like you, Vince, there's never a better time to be in sales than today because our ability to differentiate it's actually really easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just going to get the basics really good. Do the basics well. Show up. Be professional. Be someone worth showing up to say, I've got something of value to provide. I've got a bit of education. I've got a bit of insight and I've done some research. You know what? That is the foundational stuff of selling. So if we can just do that. We're actually differentiating, right? Yeah. Well, be more interested in them and what exactly. they need than what yeah. you need. Yeah. You Let's talk about this in your start. book, Andy. So all the t- this everything we're talking about today is pretty much in your book. This is what I love about your little guide there, right? Because it yeah. talks about those foundational elements that so many sellers have actually forgotten. Maybe it's not even they're forgotten. They just haven't been taught as they're entering these new orgs, right? Especially yeah. in the startup land. Well, and so along those lines. Go ahead, Kyle. Oh, I was, was going to say systemically, I think some of this, the symptoms of I don't have time to not look up if you have a podcast <laughs> when I'm trying to tell you to do a podcast is, and we talked about this on a prior episode or maybe it was in the re-record. I see really good go-to-market as a function of three simple things, relevance, resonance, and reach. So relevance, is this person either actively or passively in a state where there is value to be created? Resonance, do I have the ability to set myself apart or resonate with the fact they're in that relevant state? And then reach, can I do it at an appropriate like amount of calorie spend or bandwidth I can hit my number or the company can hit their number at the right cost of acquisition, et cetera. And the problem I see is the market said reach is the most important thing. And then the next two, but if whichever one you pick first, you sacrifice <laughs> the next ones. And so in an ideal world, you would start with who is relevant mm-hmm. then how do I resonate with that? Then how do I expand the reach? That person's telling you, I can't. And that's part of the problem is like you asked earlier, Andy, how bad do win rates need to get before we change, right? And the problem is we're all looking at each other and everyone else's win rates are down. And so then what's the response? Well, win rates are down as an accepted fact versus something you can control because we can look at each other and say that. And I've spent a lot of my career go to market, a lot in outbound and people say, how many touches should I have in a sequence? And the answer is two more than last year, because if everyone's doing it, it's going to be less effective than it was because the real answer is as many as you have something to say. Yeah. That's a great, great, I like that, Kyle. That's fantastic. Yeah, as long as you're relevant and, and resonant. Mm. Yeah. Well, this brings up another question is, as I see this behavior and Vince, you're talking, you're working with a bunch of startups right now, and I've also worked with a number of them, is that they try to scale before they learn how to sell the product they have, right? Is, and I was having this conversation with a potential client, just this week 
It's like, yeah, they're gung-ho to hire people, but the win rates are in the high teens, yet they have this really great market they could sell to that's you know very tightly defined ICP. It's like, yeah, let's not add people to actually learn how to sell this reliably and consistently at the level we want, right? That we should yeah. win more than we lose at this stage. And then we can start adding people to the mix. But I see it backwards all the time, whether yeah. it's because they've just raised money or whatever, and they have pressure on the board to go spend money, what have you. But it seems like that contributes to a lot of the problem. Yeah. It's just learn how to sell it first before you scale. Well, one question I'd actually love to pose, right? Because I think everybody's talking about how the economy is making it harder to sell, like it's slowing down the sales cycle, people are spending less, win rates are down. Is it the economy that's impacting that? Or is it the way in which we go to market and the way in which we sell that is impacting sales cycle, length to buy, win rates down? Because are people still spending money? Because that's what I heard. I heard people say, look, yeah, the economy's down, but we're still spending money. We just be, we're doing more due diligence. We're looking at how do we can extract more from existing partners. Like they're still spending money. There is still trillions of dollars being spent in the economy every day. Yeah. Well, you look at the, I'm not an economist. That's, here's my disclosure, uh, yeah. disclaimer, but our economy is not shrinking. We haven't entered recession. There's still economic, you know, GP growth going, at least in the United States. I think at least as in sectors of the tech space, people talk themselves into thinking that it was bad. Well, I think so. The I velocity that... of VC money transferring from one startup to another has slowed down. The amount of like startups <laughs> just selling to each other I think, has <laughs> reduced. And so that crunch, I think, is legitimate. And then that is legitimate, right? Yeah. So it makes it harder to. With it, and then it comes down to your sales skill, right? Because we're not pumping the ads, we're not pumping the. Well, it gets back to what I was just saying, though, is that if they actually learned how to sell the product to someone other than another venture-funded startup, then they would be in better position. Yeah, a couple of things going on here. One, I think the sales cycles, if, if people are seeing longer sales cycles or reduction in win rates, it's quite frankly, it's uh, an effect of their environment that they were putting in place, right? Because I agree with you. I think to use the excuse of the economy or this or that, it's Go back to the basics again. What's a qualified lead? What's a qualified opportunity? If you have something sitting in your pipeline for 180 days and it historically should be 35 days, well, guess what? Like, that's not, that's the, that's a process mishap. That's training. That's leadership. Like, why would you ever allow something to sit in there for, it's not an opportunity, right? Right. And then, Andy, you were bringing up scale at an early stage companies or even growth companies. I don't even think they defined what scale means, right? Mm -hmm. Just told, go add 20 sales bodies because if we add 20 sales bodies and 60% of them have somewhat success, we're going to hit our numbers, right? Like the first thing I always do when I join a startup in a consulting type of capacity is I say, Let, let's take a timeout on hiring. Let me yep. see what's, let's take a look at what's going on here. Let's look at what success looks like and what sh success should look like and why are some having success and when, why? and it always comes down to, it always goes back to the basics hundred percent of the time. Right. Yep. And then once we slow down and we define some things what scale is and why would I scale and when should I scale and what does scale look like, put mm. some rules behind that. It then translates into a more efficient process. Right. No, I agree. 
But when you're moving on a page to a certain pace, and back in the glory days when VCs were just throwing money out, right? No one What scale meant was like, we just raised $40 million. That's scale. No, that's <laughs> not scale. That's funding, dummy. Mm-hmm. Like you haven't <laughs> figured out how to go from a founder sales to a sales-led sales, right? Well, that's my figure point. that out yeah. first and translate that and then transfer it over and put a process in place. And then we'll figure out what a real cycle looks like. And then we'll figure out what a real pipeline should look like and, and velocity. Right? Yep. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, gents, sorry, run out of time here, but yeah, thank you for joining me. So great. Luigi, thank you for, again, waking up so early <laughs> on a Saturday morning and Vince and Kyle. And as always, you're always welcome to come back and join us as often and as frequently as you'd like. So if people want to reach out for you and connect with you, Luigi, where's the best place to do that? So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Look, there's not a, there's not a lot of Luigi Preston entities out in the world, so you should be able to find me or check me out at growthforum.io. That's where I share a lot of content around sales and go-to-market related activity. Perfect. And Luigi and I are both in a good mood today because as we record, this is the first day of the Premier League season. So the, the just end? locker flash football drought is over <laughs> and we can start indulging once again. <laughs> Go Liverpool. Okay, Vince. Yeah, LinkedIn, best way. Vince Beasy, like Luigi, it's a pretty name. So I don't yep. think you have a hard time finding me. And Kyle. I'm on LinkedIn as well. Kyle Williams, a little bit more generic. So if you need it, <laughs> Kyle at brickstack.com as well. I'm going to stop asking this question at some point, but I feel like obligated to ask. And it's always the same answer. Just go look on LinkedIn. Everybody's there these days. If they're not, (laughs) that's a clue for you in one way or another. So, all right. Thank you, everyone. And uh, look forward to talking to you next time. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode of the WinRate Podcast. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show Now, if you're enjoying this new podcast, could you leave a quick rating? We're still new. We're only about uh, 20 episodes into it. So you could do me a favor, leave a quick rating or review for the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Because receiving this feedback is very important and I really appreciate your help with this. Also, I want to thank my guests today, Kyle Williams, Luigi Prestonenzi, and Vince Vesey for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, excuse me, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, the WinRate Podcast, with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, last and before you go, don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter. Over 50,000 sellers and sales leaders subscribe to receive my weekly newsletter, and perhaps you should too. It's called the WinRate Wednesday. Each week, you receive one actionable tip to accelerate your win rates and a bunch of other great sales advice as well. So to subscribe, visit my website, andypaul.com. Again, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.